Back with us is KPRC's Adam Wexler, and we got to talk right off the bat about the Houston Rockets. And Adam, uh, first thing about the Rockets, uh, Nene or Tony Parker, who do you think was the, the bigger injury to, to the specific team in this series? I, I feel like it, Nene is bigger at this point for the Rockets than Tony Parker is for the, for the Spurs. You think that's an overstatement, or what, what do you feel about that? I tend to agree. Uh, I think you know Nene has actually been the Rockets' second-best scorer in the playoffs on a per 36 minute basis. And, and that's just the way that they use him. He goes out there with the purpose. Uh, he's out there for 20 some odd minutes a game and runs the pick and roll boards for this team. And uh, the number one field goal shooter in the NBA in the postseason is Nene. Almost 71% of his shots this postseason have gone in. And I'm saying this while Tony Parker was enjoying some sort of a revival in the postseason. He wasn't particularly good this regular season and that's being kind. Uh, but he really elevated his game here, and then the series against Memphis was good in his game and change against the Rockets, but they don't do anything differently, quite honestly, the Spurs. Uh, they're still running things more through Kawhi than anywhere else, and they were doing that when Parker was out there. Uh, putting Murray into the starting lineup allows them to keep their rotations the same, and that's why, to me, the bigger difference and the bigger absence is Nene, because I think the Rockets feel compelled to change their rotation, and you already saw it in Game th- uh, 4. When Ryan Anderson started the third quarter on the bench and Eric Gordon started in that group of five so they could have Anderson as as a pseudo backup center. Uh, So they didn't have to go to Montrez Harrell yet, although I think they will moving forward in this series. So I definitely think what Nene brings to the table, his pick and roll qualities and his experience and physical play on the interior will be missed more by Houston than uh, Parker's absence by the Spurs. Do you like what D'Antoni did in the second half of game four going to Eric Gordon instead of starting Ryan Anderson? Yes, because that's what the game would allow for. They had shot the ball so well, there was no reason to think that wouldn't continue. They needed to to extend the lead rather than to just kind of see what happened, and, and that's exactly what happened. Beverly opened the third quarter with a three. Eric Gordon followed with another three, and the, it never stopped. They hit eight three-pointers of the 19 they made in the game in that third quarter, and that's when they won the game. Uh, it, the game dictated it because of the flow and because of how well Gordon was already playing, but I think it, it kind of showed that this is probably, at least you know, heading into the best of three that remains, the, the best course of action for the Rockets to attempt. I think they basically have two choices, make this switch, or change nothing but insert Montrez Harrell into the minutes vacated by Nene. And I think Dan Tony's chosen the former initially and wants to see how it goes. Adam, maybe I'm getting soft in my old age, but I, I really wasn't that disappointed with the way the Rockets played in those two losses in game two and three. It just seems like this is the Rockets team that you've wanted to see all year in this series. The, the defensive intensity, I feel like from beginning to end, all throughout the series is as good as they've played all year. And when I look at uh, what they did those two games, you can't say they could have done much differently. It just seemed like the Spurs hit all of their shots and the Rockets missed their shots. And it's, it's that simple. I don't think there's any secret to what the Rockets have done all season. And it's amazing how these games have gone. They don't, they don't seem very similar to the games during the regular season, quite honestly, between the Spurs and the Rockets. Because I don't recall Houston getting... 30 wide open looks per game against the Spurs in the regular season. And that's what they're getting in this series. If if they'd hit their shots from deep in this series, they would have played from in front. Uh, They would not have had to chase down the stretch. They wouldn't have gotten worn down down the stretch. 
And quite honestly, they might have swept this series. I mean, I'm not expecting the Rockets. I'm not trying to say the Rockets are that much better. But what the Spurs have done this series is basically just hope the Rockets don't make it. They haven't really changed their philosophy defensively. They've given the Rockets wide open shots. And when the Rockets make them, it's not even a competitive game. That's how good the Rockets can be. When they miss them and shot insanely badly, I mean, look at the game that was 43-39 at halftime. The Rockets were awful on offense, absolutely terrible, and they were down four. And in the two games they've lost, it was a five-point game and a six-point game headed to the fourth quarter each time. Both times the Spurs won the fourth quarter, and thus they won the game. But, you know, the Spurs have been blown out twice, and while the margin of victory in the two Spurs wins have been wide, those games were far different looking than a totally dominant Spurs team just owning the Rockets, like what the Rockets did to the Spurs in, in one and four. But it is a little tough to always rely on the three-pointer to go in. Guys shoot about 35 to 40%. It's not the highest percentage shot, but if the Rockets are taking 23s and making a decent number while the Spurs are getting mid-range jumpers from Leonard and putbacks from Gasol, that's why the Rockets are going to score more points. Whatever happens in this series and, and in this playoffs, I, I have to say the James Harden that we've seen in this playoffs is a different James Harden than we've seen in previous playoffs. I don't know where you stand on what you've seen from him, but you know, I see a guy that's taken care of the ball much better. Uh, he was a guy that at, at times in, in the playoffs, you felt like he was waiting for the foul calls that he would get in the regular season. I feel like we've seen a tougher James Harden, a guy that – you know, isn't waiting for the officials to bail him out. And a lot of the things that he's done in this in this playoffs uh, are the type of stuff that I, I think a championship-level James Harden would, would bring. You know, I think this is the championship-level James Harden. If you get, have the right guys around him and, and, you know, maybe the right matchups, that, that he can win a championship for you if he plays like this as the best player. Well, he's having his best season. It stands to reason you should be seeing a better, different James Harden. He got better. It's the best season of his career. As he's worked his way through his time in Houston as a starter, he's done nothing but get better every season. Obviously, this system fits him best because he is – I think people are misappropriating the credit for what James Harden is doing. Giving credit for, for to Mike D'Antoni for making him a point guard and giving credit for to James Harden for playing the point and accepting the role, I think they're still missing the point. He's phenomenal at finding teammates. He's incredible at finding passing angles. His court vision and patience is off the charts. But people still aren't quite understanding that and seeing it or at least describing it in that way. And I think that's what's played out in this series because he's not living on the foul line. He shot six or fewer free throws in all but one game of this series. He's not getting to the free throw line. He's recognized that. Unfortunately, I'm not saying he's not getting fouled. He's just not going to the free throw line. In the early parts of most of these games, I think he's been frustrated as he learns how the game's going to be called each night with different referees. Game four was a good example. Game three was a good example. He'd drive to the basket, get fouled, no call, miss the shot, and throw his hands in the air. And then the Spurs would go on a fast break. He still needs to get rid of that, but he has to. It's unfortunate for players, and all stars deal with it because now they expect every call. He's still getting fouled way more often than two or three times per game when he's shooting. And that's all he gets when he gets six free throws. It's just a matter of are they going to call him and how does he respond to it? I don't know about you. I was watching that game one and, and Greg Popovich, uh, you know, he's working the officials the entire second half as they're getting blown out. And you could just kind of feel that 
Hey, that they were going to start getting a couple more calls in the next in the next two games, and you know, I'm not saying that had anything to do with it because they're obviously blowouts, but it was just funny to see. You know, Pop do his little magic where he works the officials, works the officials. And it, I felt like he set up game two and three. You know, they, they played better. There's no doubt about that. But all of a sudden, the, it seemed like the Rockets got way more calls than you were used to seeing in, in, a, in a Rockets game in San Antonio in that game one. I mean, I, I think that's a bunch of I don't believe in any of that stuff. I think the league has done a poor job of of pretending that they don't alter series with their officiating. I mean, that's why some of these series, when they can, they do. When they want to extend them, they do. It's not obvious. It's not over the top. But it's pretty clear that certain things go a certain way. They have for years. They, they're, it's not going to stop. I mean, it's do we really think the fans have such an impact on these teams that they're so much better at home? Or maybe do the referees influence that a little bit? It's probably more of the latter. You know, Kawhi Leonard was called for zero fouls in game one and then zero fouls in game two find that kind of hard to believe he got called for a foul in game four and threw his hands in the air like what are you doing how can you call that on me which is what all the spurs and most of the players for both teams in this series have done uh, the officiating has had hasn't been great it's typical of the nba the players have decided all four games i suspect they'll decide the final three two with the exception of last year i mean this is the most healthy patrick beverly in a playoffs that the Rockets have gotten and just the way he's played in the playoffs has just been amazing. I mean, what can you tell us Adam about Patrick Beverly? Because it seems like uh, he swings the game when he's in, in, in the game. Rarely do you not notice stuff that he's doing out there, making his impact on both ends of the floor. And it, it just seems like this is as good as Patrick Beverly as we've ever seen in a Rockets uniform. Well, I guess your thoughts on Patrick Beverly ought to indicate how much he means to this team away from his offense and away from his shooting because he's been awful in the San Antonio series shooting the basketball. 33% from the floor, 30% on threes, but he has had an impact. You're right, and he makes things happen for this team they must have, whereas he has been unable to put his shots in the bucket. He's been rebounding for this team. He's averaging almost two steals per game. He means something to this team, and they have to have his energy, especially when the games begin. So I wouldn't downplay his impact either. It's just gravy. It's icing on the cake when he's making his shots. And he did that for the most part against Oklahoma City, especially when the games were in Houston. He shot better than 60% in all three games in Houston against Oklahoma City. San Antonio plays better defense than Oklahoma City. They've forced he and others to shoot way more floaters than the Rockets would like. And when those floaters didn't fall in Game 3, the Rockets lost. And when those floaters stopped being taken... In Game 4, which the Rockets finally got back away from, then things went a whole lot better. Beverly was better in Game 4 than he'd been in any other game this series. And uh, mentally, he'll be fine. It's a tough situation for him, obviously, but you saw how he played Game 4 right after he learned the news of his grandfather passing away. He'll be in Chicago up until uh, the game is played, Game 5 in San Antonio Tuesday night, but he'll be with the team and ready to go, and they will need him. Yeah, I mean, you said it. I mean, it just tells you something that I haven't really cared about his offensive shooting percentage in this series. That, that That's exactly right. And just his impact and, you know, the emotion that he brings to this team, what he brings just in the intangibles is is unbelievable. And, and the guys just rally around him more than any other player. Let me get uh, your thoughts on Clint Capella because, you know, the, the Oklahoma City series, there were times where you were worried about 
Uh, when is when are we going to see the Clint Capella that gets more consistent, that gets tougher, that can do a little bit more stuff physically? But Capella, you know, even when he's not impacting the game offensively, uh, what he's been able to do defensively, bothering Gasol's shots, uh, some of the other stuff. Uh, how much can you leave him out on the floor? And how much can he stay out of foul trouble in these last three games? Yeah, it's all about foul trouble for him. They'll push him towards 30 minutes, I would suspect, in these games if foul trouble or lack of foul trouble allows for it. And the difference between Oklahoma City and San Antonio, the Spurs bigs, they play basketball. They try to score. They post up. They try to rebound. You know, typical things you'd expect from a basketball player. The Oklahoma City bigs don't do that. They don't ask them to post up. They ask them to push people around and rebound. And they ask them to, to play borderline. Uh, I'm not going to, I don't want to call Steven Adams dirty because he's the one who got kicked in the groin by <laughs> We watched this team play against Dwight Howard in the postseason. And Dwight Howard was insanely ineffective against them because that's the style they play. They're not trying to do anything but keep your big from being successful. And San Antonio doesn't have, they don't do that at all. So Capel is able to play his game on offense and then play typical defense on the other end. He's been incredible in this series. Uh, you, you could argue that he's outplayed LaMarcus Aldridge, although the two of them aren't really going head-to-head so much. He's been a little bit more consistent. He's been a monster on the boards, just the one bad game uh, against the Spurs in Game 2. The other three games, he's just been outstanding. They've obviously got to have that once again. Uh, They haven't sent him to the free throw line with much frequency. I wonder if that's something they'll employ if the game dictates it. If the Rockets are out ahead, it's something they haven't done yet. He's actually been fine in this series, making eight of his ten free throws. But, you know, he's a huge key as well. He doesn't have his security blanket with Nene checking in. Uh, He needs to play well. What is going on with the NBA blowouts in the playoffs? Is do you have an explanation for that? It's just I think it's all but maybe what one of the games in the in this round have been a blowout. Well, look at the matchups, especially the two that have were sweeps. Cleveland is significantly better than Toronto and even more better than Toronto when Kyle Lowry is not available. And he basically wasn't available despite playing a little bit in this series. He wasn't available to be himself at all. And even in the close games, like this last game was close, late, and then they end up pulling away. And, And game three was close for some of it. And then they end up pulling away. People don't even look at the Cavs like they should. The Cavs are the Rockets. The Cavs went out and got three-point shooting. Look at how well Cleveland is shooting the three-pointers uh, in the postseason. Everybody on their team is making better than 40% except for Kyrie Irving. They added Korver. Channing Fry shoots threes. Obviously, J.R. Smith and LeBron and, and everybody else, they're all shooting the ball from deep. It's this exact same formula the Rockets have. They just do things a little bit differently in how they create those open looks. So Cleveland gets to play an eight-seed and a middle-of-the-road four-five seed winner or excuse me, 3-6 winner, and they're absolutely blowing them out. Boston is the most fraudulent number one seed the NBA's postseason has seen probably in 15 years, and that's why their games are like this. The Celtics and the Wizards uh, aren't blowouts or, or have been blowouts because one team doesn't show up. Those two teams were almost identical during the season over the last 50-some-odd games. The war- Wizards got on a big roll. They just started in a big hole. So that's why they were further down the standings. Uh, I don't think the Warriors-Jazz series needs much explanation. The Jazz had their hands full to begin with, and then they played without uh, George Hill for half the series. Derek Hood, or uh, was Rodney Hood, wasn't himself for the series. And Golden State's just that much better. I mean, some people expect the Warriors to blow out whoever they get next, whether it's the Rockets or Spurs. The reason you're getting blowouts is because those teams are just 
awesome, and the teams they're playing are not. Is is anybody going to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in a game before they get to the finals? Do you think Boston or the Wizards can take a game from them? They won't be taking a game from them. The Cavs just won't care. If the Cavs lose in the Eastern Conference playoffs, it's because they didn't show up. It's because they took the night off. It's because they didn't find it important to rest, and they wanted to push themselves to an extra game. I, I think they're that much better than whoever they'll get next. Uh, they're obviously in a groove as well. They're also pretty healthy for what they went through over the course of the season with their own health issues. And, you know, it's the same old story. Um, it, it's absolute, when, the, when the year begins, it's an absolute lock that the Cavs are going to win the East. It has been for more than half a decade, and it is still now. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you about the draft because I haven't had a chance to get into that with you a little bit with the Texans. And let me get your thoughts just on what you thought of the Texans draft and you know, I, I've made the point that the the only impact guy that the Texans really got for this season might be Deontay Foreman. Maybe Zach Cunningham's going to help you a little bit in pass coverage. You know, he's not going to be the the starter, but he he might be able to help you somewhat there. And and maybe a Carlos Watkins can help, but you're not going to get much this year from uh, Julian Davenport. Probably not from Deshaun Watson and some of the other guys. Uh, is that a fair statement? I think the best way to put it is they probably got zero impact players, not only in the draft, but in the entire offseason, which is shockingly, devastatingly awful for a team in this point in their development, where they're right on the cusp of being one of the best teams in the NFL. The only way they get an impact out of players out of this draft class is if Tom Savage fails or gets hurt or Deshaun Watson somehow wins the job otherwise. Uh, the other players are going to make limited impact, if at all got zero starters out of this group and we're, we're merely talking about 2017 so I don't want to kill the draft class saying it, that they didn't get any good players but for the immediate impact for this upcoming season it's almost a sure thing they drafted zero starters and this is off of an offseason where A.J. Boye is gone Quinton Demps is gone John Simon is gone uh, they did nothing in free agency to help their offensive line or anywhere else on this entire football team as of yet and I do think they'll end up signing players once camps begin and legitimate veterans are squeezed out of their current teams and maybe they find a home here in Houston but it's it's beyond belief to me that they took a team that was nine and seven that was somehow winning games with Brock Osweiler at quarterback and have done nothing to make them better for an entire offseason except for waiting for J.J. Watt to come back healthy. So I guess uh, you led me right into the last thing I was going to ask you. Are, are they a better team at all? I mean, you're adding J.J. Watt and you're subtracting Brock Osweiler. Some say that right there makes you a better team. There's no question they're a better team. It's almost impossible for them to get worse quarterback play than they got last season. Now, I tweeted this out last night. They've got three guys in their quarterback room right now. Two of them have not ever thrown an NFL touchdown pass. Two of them didn't throw any NFL passes, period, last season. And yet, this is the best quarterback room Bill O'Brien's ever had, in my opinion. Tom Savage will throw his first touchdown pass in 2017 ever. Deshaun Watson might still not throw a pass next year. And Brandon Whedon, obviously the other guy. But you finally have there, – there's one player in the NFL who knows Bill O'Brien's offense uh, that's been with him in Houston uh, – as well as Bill does, and that's Tom Savage. He's the only guy that's been there for all three years of it. The development mentally is immense. I'm sure he gets it. I'm sure he understands it. I'm sure they see things the same way. I'm sure he will read things similarly to Coach O'Brien, which is something that the head coach has never had with any of his quarterbacks because they'd all been here for one year or less. So it's way over the top how much experience and knowledge of the offense Savage has. 
but it always comes down to execution and health. And certainly with Savage, those are two things that, you know, he's never had a chance to execute the offense for more than a game or two, and he hasn't been healthy enough to go get that opportunity. I think Deshaun Watson being here will push Savage. I think it's, it's, uh, I'm glad that they finally really truthfully addressed the quarterback situation from a developmental standpoint, actually attempting to find their quarterback of the future for the next 10 years by doing something on draft day. But they, they could be better. They should be better because of quarterback play, because they were winning games last year without forcing a ton of turnovers, but playing good defense and not scoring. Usually that's a six-win football team, what they did last year. But they figured out how to beat teams, and their schedule is not easy. I think every team in the AFC South got better. So I, I think the road to getting to 9-7 and seven is more difficult, but I think they're equally as capable of getting there as they were a year ago. This, despite some of the things that we say about the Texans, uh, you and I were talking before we started, it's a great time to be a Houston sports fan, and you and I are approximately the same age, so you know, I guess uh, I'm wondering from your perspective, I kind of feel like this might be the, the most fun it's been in all three sports when you look at uh, the capabilities of the three different teams. Uh, is, that, is that your thought as far as the three main pro sports in Houston? I mean, the Astros are a legitimate World Series contender, and they've played like it from the moment the season started. So that is extremely exciting for obvious reasons. That's something that they've never done, only been to the World Series once. And I think you know, getting behind them and believing it, absolutely the case. The Rockets are two wins away from reaching the Western Conference Finals for the second time in three seasons and have had one of the three best players in the NBA the last three seasons. They're in that same boat. They're right there. You know, the Texans, if they finally found their quarterback or they just simply get great quarterback play this season, I mean, beyond the Patriots, I don't know that there's an obvious better team than them in the AFC. There's teams equally as good as them and teams that certainly could be better than them. And obviously the same applies in the other direction for Houston. But to think you're in position for this, you know, second or third or fourth year in a row to make the playoffs, to host a game in the playoffs and then obviously to advance in the playoffs like they did a year ago, that's, I mean, that's almost like what Boston had, except you don't have Tom Brady and you don't have Big Poppy and you don't have the obvious, we're going to win it, not we hope we have a chance to win it. They knew they were going to win titles. Uh, the Houston fans have an opportunity to believe they could get there. A little bit different, but yeah, this is about as good as it's ever been. Would it help if Tom Savage or Deshaun Watson grew a huge beard? You'd think that's the key to success here with what Keuchel's done and what uh, James Harden's done, but I suspect they'll they'll keep their same route. Saying it didn't help Brian Fitzpatrick at all. <laughs> well, Adam, thanks so much for joining us and uh, remind people uh, what you got going on over at uh, KPRC. I know the S Sunday night show gets better and better each week, right? Appreciate it. Yeah, Sports Sunday, ten thirty every Sunday night. I was live at Toyota Center. Uh, this past Sunday night with coverage after Game 4. We'll be live in San Antonio Tuesday night for Game 5. And same story back at Toyota Center for the clincher for somebody, potential clincher for one of the two teams, whoever wins Game 5. It's a 7 o'clock start both Tuesday and Thursday, so we'll have all the live coverage for you as, as soon as it wraps up. And then we'll, we'll uh, hopefully be putting uh, the early look at uh, Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals, which will either begin on Sunday in Golden State or Tuesday in Golden State, uh, depending on how long this series goes for the Rockets or Spurs trying to keep the Warriors from hitting the finals again. And we'll have it all for you on uh, Channel 2. You can find me on Twitter, of course, at A Wexler KPRC. Yeah, check out Laney and Randy and Adam over on Channel 2. Turn the Turn the dial over to KPRC. Thanks so much, Adam. You got it.
For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net. Mm-hmm.